Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who have been successful because they found that point in their lives to just go for it. The genesis of this podcast is based on the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world-changing impact, two who gave themselves permission. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. And our guest today is Luke Winkowski, who's the head of Thrivent Advisor Network. The Thrivent Advisor Network is a fast-growing network of purpose-driven advisors created especially for those who value independence, yet crave a strong sense of community. Hello, Luke. Hello. Good afternoon. Where do we find you? Where are you calling in from? I am calling in from sunny Minneapolis today. Oh my goodness. Minneapolis is great. Do you enjoy it? I do. It's been, uh, Minnesota has been my home and I think it's one of the world's greatest cities, but it's one of those cities you love to live in. For those who travel to it, you've got to work, you've got to work a little harder to find the fun stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm very fond of that place from that purple man that you had that lived there so long ago. <laughs> yes, we have lots of pictures of that purple man. <laughs> so you touch so many advisors on a weekly basis and this being the year like no other, we'd love to get your thoughts on some trends you're seeing out there and how advisors are responding to them. How's that sound? Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, do you want me to dive right in? Well, yeah, let's talk about the world of remote. And, and that's, it's quite the world, isn't it? It's the world we've been living in. Certainly myself having gone remote, I believe back in March and having not stepped foot back into an office since that point, it's become a new norm. And I think it was just recently that I forgot that this wasn't normal. When I talk to advisors, I think that they're in such a, a, a great position, uh, especially the advisors that I think really have an idea of what their value is. And I mean that sincerely. I think this whole world that has transitioned away from having the luxury of being where you want to be at any point in time, it really makes you stop and think about how you access, how you build relationships, what's important to you. The advisors I work with, I think that they first found that they took an opportunity to take a look at what their client's book was like and how they were serving it they started to get a lot more intentional about serving them across the board from their staff to the way that they interacted. The people on the other end, the people we serve, that they serve, became more available, but under some different and maybe less comfortable context. As we've navigated through this, people have become more digitally savvy. They've become more, they've become more available. Some things in life have actually gotten a little bit more simple. And I think that they've been able to take a breath and really pay attention to what's important to them. So it's been, though very challenging in some ways, it's been a gift in others. And I think as we get out of this, hopefully going into later next year, we're going to see the best of both worlds potentially, and certainly the advisors. And there's a lot of advisors out there who, who are success-minded. They're going to find an opportunity to create an even deeper client value proposition. And just like us uh, in the working world who have who weren't accustomed to being on our screens and being in front of people like a TV all the time. You mentioned the investors being uncomfortable. Have you found out that they've become more comfortable with technology and using that for talking to their advisors? I think in some ways, yes. I mean, number one is I think that the advisor has become more humanized. A lot of advisors 
are still in a pretty formal mindset. They wear suits to work, ties to work. They operate in that context. And with the digital interface over Skype, Zoom, whatever, people are seeing their, their kids, they're seeing their dogs, they're seeing their messy living rooms, all of that, all of that stuff that makes people people. And I think it's brought advisors into the into a place that actually builds more trust. And that, that really is important given that probably the biggest differentiator an advisor can be proud of is um, their trust value proposition. It's not, it's no longer the products or even the technologies that they bring to the table. Those are much more commoditized. I think that's been a really interesting outcome as we, as we lived in this digital environment, clients definitely are getting more comfortable with this. And I think it's an opportunity also for advisors to lead. I've seen some advisors really shy away from this. And there's been examples in the industry where, where advisors have really um, either pushed it to the edge of trying to continue to meet in, in person. And in some locales, that makes sense. And in some, it doesn't. That's really put their clients in some ways in an awkward position. And then I've seen others who've really tried to use the telephone medium. Really what, what that has done is not taken full advantage of really the day and age we live in. I don't think it's, I'll close on this thought. I don't think it's really even an age thing. One of my favorite advisors that I, that I talk to often at Thrivent, his name is Don and he's in Arkansas. He's in his last five years of a 50 year plus career. He and his clients routinely use Zoom and FaceTime and other mobile technologies. And many of his clients are in their nineties. Before the pandemic, he would literally, he or his staff would go and help them set up their systems that brought so much more available connectivity because after all the era of I'm going to set four meetings a year and meet with you on my terms, that's ending. It's more the client saying, you know what? I need you right now. And it's that instant access and gratification that, that we've become accustomed to, whether that's through the internet or through other modes that we communicate in other places in life. We all know that clients are asking more of their advisors in a bunch of different areas, but, you know, giving this is the holiday season, what are advisors asking for? What are advisors asking for in the holiday season? Yeah. It's a great question. You know, I think number one, our advisors are people too. They're relationship people. We all are. And I think that they're asking for probably a little bit of release from the grind and so a lot of advisors have worked never harder than they have in this year to stay up to speed. And, and I think it's, it's how will they recharge and re-energize over this holiday season? I think another thing is they're asking for their companies to really get behind them and to really, no kidding, transform and show a different type of result. Advisors, of course, their livelihood, their business is on the ability to maintain revenue flow through the goodwill that they earn from their clients. They don't get to take a pause in that. If that line of business goes away, it is an immediate hit to their bottom line. Companies have a much more lagging impact to that because by nature, they're diversified. They have maybe thousands of advisors that are working for them. Those advisors have real demands or clients have real demands and companies really need to start modernizing. There's a great saying out there, I'm sure many have heard it, which is what caused the digital revolution in your organization 
the, the answers are multiple choice. Number one, was it your CIO, your chief information officer? Number two, was it your CFO, your chief financial officer? Or number three, was it COVID? Not surprisingly, people giggle and they, they pick COVID and it's so true for some. I know in our organization, right or wrong, we were able to do things that were digitally impossible, it seemed, in a matter of a couple weeks this spring. And it really, it was heartening to see the progress. It also caused us to step back and ask the question of why couldn't we do things faster all the time? And I think that's becoming the new norm and companies are going to live or die by that in their value proposition back to advisors. That's really interesting and great perspective. What about planning? How have you seen financial planning evolving this year? So many things have been accelerated due to the social event. And I, I think we'll look back at this time and we'll look at 20 different dimensions across life and say, we were already moving in that direction and we just started to move faster. Planning is one of the spaces where we were already moving in some directions and we just started to move faster. Let's talk about that for a second. So one of the, one of the old ways we thought about planning was we created this binder or this book and it had all these numbers in it and it was super complicated. And the planning process was all about developing this, this book of a person's financial future. We, we joke about it today. We say, this is a book of one scenario that will never happen to you. It's a fine piece of fiction. The, of course, the way that planning was going was moving toward ongoing support and guidance around a person's life, knowing that life is dynamic, it changes, it goes in unexpected twists and turns. And usually in three-year increments, and increasingly less, a person has reinvented themselves by nature of having kids or moving or changing jobs or having an unexpected life event. Planning itself has become much more a function of our level of responsiveness as opposed to our making up these, these scenarios. What COVID has done is it's actually made it very difficult for us to do the binder planning because it's, it's too labor intensive and you know, even just thinking about printing stuff and getting somebody it's made it much more gratifying and possible to do ongoing advice and counsel on an as needed basis. People are more accessible. They're not so tied up in travel and all the extra stuff. I think we're really going to have that stick and that's a huge accelerant to the planning piece. The other thing I'm going to switch gears just a little bit, because I think it's equally important. I think that people have a renewed sense of their mortality. And what I mean by that is COVID isn't easy. It has really put our humanity or the our fragility of our humanity in a place that maybe we haven't experienced societally for many of us. Because of that, it's easier for us to visualize the things in life that could get in the way of a good plan. When we think about planning, I think of far too many advisors plan on the merit of if everything went perfectly, here's what the world would look like. And so therefore you should do this. Whereas one of my mentors has always reminded me that a good plan endures in good circumstances, in poor circumstances. Those poor circumstances should include poor markets, poor health, and different jobs. At a basic level, if you can't, as an advisor, answer the question of how that plan works in all four of those situations, you're not really doing your job. Today, the customer, the clients, they're demanding us to actually answer those questions because around them, they see, they, they see things more, um, more clearly. 
are interested in the industry, when you think about risk protection and insurance solutions, for example, people are far more likely to purchase policy that pays out when they die versus when they become disabled. They are far more likely to become disabled. The reason is it's a bias. It's, 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 they can actually visualize dying because you see that a lot more. You don't see the disabled part of, of the world as much. It's not as immediate, uh, immediately present to a person. What COVID is doing is, is making these things more top of mind. You, you mentioned insurance-based solutions, and that's something that many advisors have been reluctant to offer in their practices. Are you seeing that change? Absolutely. There's a difference between a wealth manager and an advisor. A wealth manager serves a very important purpose around wealth accumulation, but they don't necessarily always address what we call risk protection, which is the what could go wrong. That's what an advisor does. For someone to call oneself an advisor, and if you take a CFP methodology to it, the first module I learned as a CFP was how to deal with risk. And risk is morbidity, mortality. It has to do with all of the things that could happen in the person's job or other macro factors. These are important topics. And advisors really would benefit their clients by talking about them. And in fact, if you look at the numbers, those advisors who address the holistic concerns of their client have much higher satisfaction rates, have much higher client outcome rates on financial health, and much higher persistency. Their clients leave them at a much reduced rate. That's something that I have a personal passion around is how do you get advisors to realize that it's the both and. You can do both of these things. They can live together. And in fact, it's part of our it's part of our obligation to the people we serve. In your company descriptor, you talk about purpose-driven advisors. Tell me more about that. Yeah, we, we love the word purpose because it really harkens to the idea that money is really just a tool. It's a tool to help us do all the things in life that we value. And we vote with our money. We vote with our actions and behaviors. But it's through the intentionality of how we line those things up that we actually achieve contentment, happiness, fulfillment. It's actually, if you look at the studies on it without going too deep, it, it actually fuels something we like to call generosity or acting outside of oneself. When we say purpose-based advisors, these are advisors who want to bring values-based conversations into the planning room. And they want to really get beyond just this idea of maximizing money for money's sake or protecting money for money's sake. But what is it all for? What do you want that money to do for you and why? And really helping a person grow through that experience. And we see it all the time. And it's so rewarding. At a very micro level, it changes people's lives. At a community and societal level, it can change, it can change whole populations, whole communities of people when you get people minded around that. And that's really our mission. And that's what we mean when we say purpose-based. How did you get here? Why financial services? Me personally? Yeah, you. I didn't get here out of, out of great intentionality. As much as I was just talking about having a big purpose, I, I grew up in a rural town in northern Minnesota and had aspirations of going into psychology or business, one of the two. And I didn't really know what either of those meant. It was through an internship that my now wife, her father was a client of Thrivent. He had introduced me to a Thrivent advisor and 
I was invited to apply for an internship and got it. And I had frankly, no clue, not one bit of a clue as to what the business did. It wasn't until I got into it and really understood and saw it at the client, the human level that I really got it. What I mean by that is it wasn't until I saw the impact that the work advisors do in, in people's lives. I mean, in, in some cases, I mean, it was my first summer where I, people were tearing up with their advisor. I was thinking to myself, I, I haven't seen my parents ever have that type of an interaction with any professional. Here, these people are, they're pouring themselves out to this person called a financial advisor. What does that mean? I mean, what, why, why are people doing this? So it became, it became very moving for me. The industry kept calling to me. And I, to this day, I, I think, I believe it to my core that it's one of the places where we can bring great well-being and health to people. That's why I'm in the industry. Tell me a little bit about the journey you had. Were there significant stops and were there people who influenced you? So many. And I'll start with the people. I could probably name at this point a dozen influential mentors. One of my first was a person named JJ. And JJ took me on as an intern. He then took me on as a part-time associate, investment associate, as I was finishing up my senior year of college. JJ was one of the most principled people I'd ever met. I'll never forget some of the stories he taught me and some of the ways he taught me to speak to people and to respect them as a part of the role of an advisor. He used to, you know, there's so many things that he would say that I would love to share with you all, but his comments would be around the differences between advisors who listen and advisors who speak or salespeople. He would help me understand how advice was fundamentally a different task than simply selling a product. And there's nothing wrong with selling. I, in fact, think that selling is how you help people take action. But JJ really framed it up for me. So that was, that was one. I mentioned that I came into this in the asset management side, and I was actually helping him at the time in the early 2000s build out his fee-based asset management portfolio. But he also shared a story with me. I don't think he'd mind me sharing it now about how his father-in-law back in the late seventies, he and his father-in-law went fishing. I think it was in South Dakota. They were out in the boat. JJ was a new financial representative, or he was actually an insurance associate. At that time, that was what he was doing. He had to grow through his, we called it natural market. He was going to talk to his father-in-law about insurance. His conversation that I recall him sharing with me in the fishing boat he, he mustered up enough guts to ask his father-in-law if he had adequate life insurance. His father-in-law said, yep, everything's covered and shut down the conversation. And JJ said, I decided at that point not to ask one more question. And it was, I forget the exact time frame. It was a week or two later that his father-in-law died. What JJ said is he, yeah, he went to his uh, wife and said, because his wife had said to him, don't worry, mom's going to be okay. And JJ said, no, actually, I, I found out that the policy he had was for $2,000. What happened then is he and his wife had to take care of his mother-in-law for his, her entire life. It's those types of stories that really stick with you. Mm -hmm. They really call on you. I'm a person that unabashedly is, is against this idea of transactional insurance sales. And I think that the industry gets a really bad rap there. But it's the idea that he wasn't there for someone he really cared about, that we didn't show up as an advisor in that situation. And he used that as a mission to really further himself. When I think about these examples, 
And I get very emotional about it because these are the people that mean so much to me in my life. I can immediately relate to them without, you know, I'd be very poor at sharing some personal examples that I know all know we have because I can barely get through someone else's example without apparently getting a little bit uh, emotional about it. My, my point is, is that it's those stories. And when you really listen, that really get you through it. And so there's, there's JJ and then there are others, you know, there's another individual named Bruce who ultimately hired me as a junior advisor on his team, took a huge leap on me, a guy coming out of college and not really knowing much, but knowing just enough to help this guy named Bruce and his business associate, Richard, start building their fee-based business. I want to make this interesting point. I'm spending a lot of my time on the asset wealth side of the business. I'm seeing how that comes together on the risk side of the business. Bruce and Richard, when I got to their office, I'm in my, was I'm about 22 years old. They had a two and a half hour interview. And one of the things I, I'll never forget it, they shared with me their client agenda. And at the bottom of the agenda was we work with people that have significance and want to make a significant difference in the world and the lives of the people around them. They had coined this motto, and it was really an early stage call to the idea that how a person uses what matters to them can actually do something much bigger than them. And they would actually present this in the first meeting, and they actually turned some clients away, I'll never forget it, that didn't fit that bill, who came in and said, you know, I actually just want you to make me some money. And they were like, we're probably not the right shop for you. We could introduce you to somebody else. Those are two, I could go, but I could go on and on. I mean, at every stage of my career, there's been people and there've been people to help me grow and to help me really shape myself. You, you've risen up the ladder at an incredibly young age. I mean, you still don't look more than 22. In, in <laughs> leading this group, there has to have been some self-doubt times when you stared in the mirror and said, no one's coming, it's all on me. How did you get past that? How did you give yourself permission to succeed? You know, I think there's always moments of self-doubt. I'm a big believer in reflecting, meditating. I don't actually meditate in, a, in the traditional sense. I think there's actual formal meditation. But in the, in the sense of really thinking and making sense of the world through quiet and calm, however you do that. I happen to do that through swimming and running. That, that's my escape. I think some other people do it through all kinds of different ways, but finding that space to really process has been really critical. So much so that, you know, some of the really hard jobs I've had along the way, for example, one of the jobs I had just a little under a decade ago, I started the job is what we call in our company, a, a field leader. What this is, is a person who recruits people who are new to financial services and trains them in how to do the business and how to start their own business. So it's a business development coach and recruiter. And I'm new on the job and these are very measurable, very measurable roles. I'd been successful in a lot of my early stage roles in my career. And I had a lot of people who were behind me and fans and these mentors that I talked about. And I didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to let myself down. I didn't want to let my family down, all those things. And it was in the first role that it was like a no kidding, high performance measurement role. And I remember the, the first week on the job, I had so much excitement about getting into it. I got there and I was like, all right, I got to do this. I don't have a plan. What am I going to do about it? I remember the moment I, I went for a swim and swam laps. I remember having this conversation in my head about, am I committed? 
my boss today, actually, she has this great saying, her name is Mary Jane Fortin. She's a wonderful boss. And she has this great saying, are you the pig or the chicken? You know, the chicken feed the family lays an egg. The pig has to be slaughtered. It's kind of a, you know, kind of a funny statement. The point is, is that the pig is committed. The chicken, and it's kind of a play on words, just has to lay an egg and they can go back and, and, and move on. So you're going to lay an egg or are you going to go all in? I remember making that intentional decision. I'm going all in. And then it was a question of what's the support system around me? Who can I learn from? And then you find great people to surround yourself with. And if you get anything out of this conversation, who you surround yourself with is so critical to success because it's really not about you. It's not about me. It's about the excellence we achieve through others. And after all, you know, if you go back to advising, I mean, advice, financial advisors are all built in the idea of that two people are better than one. You get, you actually, you actually self-activating yourself to success is far less likely than having someone who cares about you help you get there. And, and that's, you know, a really important story as well. I have two last things for you. First one is, what has you incredibly excited about Thrivent for 2021? So much. And I mean that, you know, in a company that is a younger person, I've worked here virtually my entire career. I haven't shopped around and moved companies. And I say that as an important indication to my level of commitment. And the idea here is, is that you, uh, at Thrivent, we have this big purpose. And for the first time since I've been here, we've made not only the intentional decision, but the intentional investment to tell our story. It's been a company that's been successful for over a hundred years, working in a very small niche of, of the world. And as we've really adopted the different approach, which is to be a leader in advice in across financial services, we're actually getting our name out there. Some on the podcast might have seen these commercials for Thrivent. And that, that's a new thing. No one would ever have seen that before or ads in different financial press or different places in the popular society. And that's just one part about building the brand awareness. But the point I'm trying to make is I'm excited that a company that has as much commitment to driving impact in communities and lives of people it serves, the big purpose, is now finally taking itself seriously and putting itself out there in the world and really trying to be a leader in that. And we're, we're, by the way, not doing that because we think we're the only ones who can do it. I think there's a lot who can do it in the industry, but we think that the world needs it. And I think the world does. So I'm really excited about that. And then the other thing I'm really excited about is we're continuing to add fantastic talent. In a, in a time when hiring is kind of all over the map in financial services, you see some people getting out, out of some things and here and there. We have a very strong capital position. We're using that to strategic advantage to really say, no, this is a time to grow. And I'll close my thought on Thrivent's history is in the last 120 years, we've had two very significant boom cycles. One was during the Great Depression and the second was during the Great Recession. And part of that is because as a company that's generally viewed, I think as a little bit more risk-minded, conservative, it's not as sexy as the Wall Street players you know, that you have out there. It's those same values that really ground, that, that people find grounding in, in times when 
they're, they're, they're sensing those real risks or having those existential moments where they're really thinking about what's important to them. And I think we're in that space right now. And quite frankly, I hope we stay there because there's, there's a lot of stuff. We're talking about financial services today. There's a lot of stuff in society that would benefit from us staying in that reflective space. Okay, I'll get you out of here on this. What advice do you have for the young person thinking about coming into this industry? Is it noble? Is it somewhere they can live a proud life in? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. It's a, it's not only a noble profession, it's a, it's a, it's a needed one that society benefits from. The advice I'd have is to get clear on what impact you want to make personally, what, what matters to you, what makes you tick. Because the second you get clear about that and you get grounded in it is the second that you can focus on what matters to other people and what makes them tick. And so getting into this business is actually all about other people, but it starts with you. And that might sound really selfish and like a a weird way of looking at it, but you actually see this in things like cultural competency. In order to appreciate other cultures that are different from you, you have to appreciate yourself. Before you get into this, make sure you're grounded in your own values, your own money life, for example, and the choices you make there. Make sure that you're that you respect that and that you appreciate that, love that, then find a way to find that same greatness in others. And that that will serve you well, whether you're in a role as a financial advisor your whole career, or you go down leadership or management tracks. Luke, what a great conversation. Thriven is very lucky to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. For everyone at Iris Media Works, our producer Jakey Beard and the Permission to Succeed team. This is Doug Heikinen. Take care.